Today on In the House, we sit down with Luis Garcia. Luis is a project manager for design-build firm in Austin, Texas that specializes in 3D printed structures. Not only will you learn about Luis's journey through the design and construction industry, you will get to hear what unique challenges he and his team face every day while working with these innovative 3D printers. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Today on In the House, we have a special guest with us. We have Luis Garcia. Um, now, Luis, if you want to kind of dive in, let's take a moment and I, I want to get to know you um, and, and what it is you do, but um, kind of introduce yourself, uh, you know, give us give us kind of the background. What's the story? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm currently a uh, project manager for a 3D design build uh, company here in Austin, Texas. My background has uh, I have a lot of design background um, and then also construction as well. So I grew up doing laying slabs. Uh, my, my family is a construction background from the beginning. Foundation guys. Foundation, yeah, from awesome. the beginning. So I grew up doing uh, foundations all throughout my teens. Instead of rather than people going to, uh, to camps and stuff, I was digging trenches and yeah. getting rebar ready. So yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. And I hated it. Honestly, I hated it. <laughs> well, your dad's an architect, so is it? Was he design build early on? Is that this was before it? he was registered? He was yeah. So he he comes from all that as well. Um, but yeah, so we started doing that um, a while back. That was his, you know, what what he's been doing for a while. I hated construction. I tried to get away from it as much as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, came right back. Awesome. Ended up doing fine art for an undergrad at the San Francisco Institute. Yeah. Uh, really awesome place. I feel like that's where I kind of grew up for four years. I First time away from home and to be in a place like San Francisco is pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you grow up? Here in Austin. Here in Austin. So, okay. Yeah. Born and raised here in Austin. And then I uh, went to Cali as soon as possible, or as soon as I graduated. And a huge culture shock. Yeah. Uh, still kind of is, coming back. Um, studied fine art, photography, sculpture, um, just kind of lighting in general mm-hmm. and how it affects a mood or an environment. And then slowly started finding myself being more technical or getting more and more technical throughout my projects and uh, inside and outside of work. Got really into documentary um, filmmaking mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Wow. So I did a few, a lot of that, uh, running around, being a gaffer, being a cameraman. And I realized that these stories that we're covering, they're really incredible, but I want to be a part of those projects. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be behind the camera. <laughs> um, so that, that changed. Um, I decided to make that shift. I, I would, there is a parallel between uh, filmmaking and construction in a sense, like the gaffers that that culture, that world, they're, they're kind of uh, light construction, you know, there's light construction involved in a lot of senses. You gotta build up something, yeah, you gotta stage something, you gotta be, you gotta think of it before you go out and you actually do it. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. I can see the parallels. Um, designing for light is a huge parallel there too. Um, understanding your environment, the context, everything is very site specific when it comes to photography. Um, a lot of times you have complete control of the of your context um, in a studio, per se. But then other times you're outdoors and you gotta account for wind and all kinds of stuff. So being in that environment and 
uh, having the realization that I want to be more involved in the subject matter rather than the documentation of the subject uh, reminded me of where I was coming from and the capacity that I actually had to right. make a difference. <laughs> so, yeah, you wanted to be more more hands on. You wanted to be the your creator, not necessarily the one kind of documenting the, the process, right? I mean, Absolutely. So, yeah. so how did you find yourself back in the construction world? Um, it was one of it was my thesis for undergrad. I created a um, with the idea of light and photography. I uh, ended up making objects and photographing them. So it was this weird using technology, documenting my process of sculpture rather than strictly photography, going out and finding a subject. I was trying to create my own subject. Um, so I made a autonomous water generator in undergrad. So it was pretty neat. Went to a bunch of junkyards, learned how to weld, learned how to steam bend wood and created this device that is solar powered that creates water from uh, uh, pretty much, it's not reverse osmosis, but that's the technical way that, that it works. But it's really just a really inefficient air conditioning unit. And it huh. creates condensation and it collects that condensation. Right, right, and right. And it, it cleans it with a UV light. Right? Okay, so it's, it's so. essentially with <laughs> with maybe some filtration, it's safe to drink. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So we had these, uh, you know, thesis open nights and or, or end of the year reviews, and people were showing their beautiful photos, and I have this 150 pound <laughs> device there. And like maybe I'm a little different than all these people. That's good. You're standing out, man. That's awesome. But you didn't come straight from your San Francisco to architecture, right? There was some time in between then. There was there. So when I graduated it was 2009. Um, and that was kind of the middle of the recession. So <laughs> I came back to Austin. Um, it was difficult to, to find a job. I was getting a lot of people saying, you're overqualified. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Just, I'm trying to get, trying to work here. Um, so that was frustrating. Uh, I ended up going back to concrete, uh, curiously enough. Yeah. Had, a, had a small crew. Uh, we went out and did pads. We would pour in the morning and then frame in the afternoon. And just getting that cycle. Wow, dude. Um, that's hustling. That was, that was yeah. That's that was a lot. hustling. So, <laughs> wow. Who'd you do uh, a lot of work for? I mean, was it just small commercial type, or was it uh, residential? It was small um, with the school district. So they, whenever they move a portable or a sidewalk gets crushed by a bus or something, okay. just smaller repair okay. stuff like that. Um, so started doing that, and and then I jumped on and. and did a corporate gig with Lowe's for a couple of years. Hmm. Um, that was more of a project manager role in the sense of their rollout of all their new, I don't know exactly what they're called, their new products that roll out, um, jumping store to store, making sure everything is in line, what they're expanding on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, I didn't feel like that was really real. I didn't feel like I was in construction. It was, it was too manicured you know? yeah it was too corporate I was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and i was perfect. coming from laying concrete and i was like this is i'm just going off a checklist right now uh-huh. i want to get back in the field so um i realized i wanted to go back to architecture school and uh and get my license and do my own thing design build ultimately that's what my dad does as well and at a small capacity um, so with that in mind I needed a job because now I was an adult and I didn't have anybody paying, you know, helping me to pay for anything. <laughs> so um, I, I found the found uh, the fire department uh, in Houston, 
So I joined the fire department, uh, did that for about seven years, which I had no idea, or I didn't expect to have any parallel with construction either, or, or design per se, but uh, I, I learned a lot, I learned a ton. Um, interestingly enough, some of the most interesting, or uh, I, I was taking a few classes in urban design at the same time Harvey was happening, at the same time I was our, out you know, with the fire department. So a lot of things came together and really tore my mind open. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was pretty interesting. And uh, still just now unpacking what all those, what I've learned. So, and also understanding what the code means. So our, our projects in studio, we try to make them as realistic as possible at, in some classes, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just do whatever you want. Um, but a lot of times the projects that I, I enjoyed were more uh, based in reality and you did have to follow that meaning mm-hmm. and they had a real site with you know you have to follow the uh, the codes if, if not anything else um, so really understanding what the fire code is what it, what it is on paper and understanding what it feels like in real life mm-hmm. there's a huge disconnect there I think with designers and I can remember specifically a couple times at work like oh that's why. That's why there's an exit within 30 feet of every yeah. door. Because <laughs> I'm on the ground and I can't find how to get out of here. <laughs> I can't imagine if people put an exit wherever they wanted. You know, mm-hmm. in the back of your head, you're like, I know, I know how this place would it look like on the outside, and I know what the codes are. So there's got to be a door right, here, you know, right around oh, the that's corner. That's interesting. <laughs> you ever feel, feel like it was scary to go in it that way, where? Codes are usually built off of reactive things, like something bad happens, a bunch of life's lost. Uh, and so you go to protect the, the, the people, and then um, do you feel like that is something that is a good parameter to have where it's not just pie-in-the-sky idea, so it gives it something real? Or do you think that that can ultimately like make your thing look like a, a, a code-derived building? Do you ever have that battle? Absolutely, I think everybody does. Uh, some projects are you can tell they're code derived. Yeah. You walk into a project, like, wow, this is this is code and Revit de- derived. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you can see the process, and I, in my process of design as well, I feel like there's um, it's it's a conversation. Each project that you're undertaking is a conversation and a solution. Ultimately, it should be a solution. I think in that sense, every site has a problem, whether it's you know, building on a cliff like we're here, or you know, yeah. on the side of a of a hill. Um, if it's utilities, if it's uh, if it's too windy, if it's you know, you got to figure out what the problem is, and then design around it. So that that's what I love when I travel is to find how different cultures have solved. Number one, recognizing the problems they have, mm-hmm. and number two, how they've solved them. I think that's one of the, the richest things you can do with traveling is, is start asking those questions. Um, but yeah, that's, that's our, that's our biggest battle is we have, um, we have to solve this problem, but we also have all this baggage that our culture brings with us for life safety and whatnot, which, which is completely understandable, but having that dance, that's what makes a really good designer. So you say you like to travel. I mean, where, where have you been to most recent, I guess? Most recent. What sticks out in your head? What, what's the... I guess the most fun place or most interesting place you, you would say? I just, I went to Mexico City about two, three weeks ago. Okay. I hadn't been there in about 10 years, so that was really nice to revisit a city that is so old, has has a ton of history, 
personal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my, my family ultimately comes from. Um, and also seeing how it's, how do you feed 20 million people every day? How do you take their waste away? How do you, you know? Yeah. And then how do they, how do they live in a seismic zone? How, what makes these, uh, and how are they reinventing themselves? Ultimately, you can, you can make a big city, but is it sustainable? Um, as much as I hate Houston, well, I won't say I hate Houston. You can cut that out. <laughs> as much as Houston is uncomfortable, I, I didn't feel like it was the most comfortable place to live. Um, I do feel like it has reinvented itself several times sure. over the last 40, 50 years. And that's what makes it so sustainable. And it's going to get its time soon. Um, seeing the urban planners that are really stepping forward and um, the, at least this new administration are making a lot of a lot of strides to make it more of a walkable city and and attract new new industries. Mm-hmm. It's always neat to see that. Do you ever see that plan for they wanting to put a dome over Houston? They're oh, gonna put like a mile <laughs> tall dome, <laughs> like a Buckminster Fuller dome <laughs> over Houston. No, what, what what was behind that? What was Just the, climate control. Yeah. It's, dude, it's it's, it's Houston, brutal. Yeah, it's, it is bad, it? it is. I grew brutal. up in Houston. Yeah. Oh, which part? Um, I, I think we were more out towards Katy. Okay. Yeah, I went to a, a, a school in, in Katy. But, yeah, we, we grew up there. I mean, we, we, we moved several times. Uh, we kind of, I was born in Houston and, and, you know, we lived there for a while and then we moved further out, you know, into like Navasota. I don't know if you know okay. where Navasota yeah. and Brenham is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up, for whatever reason, moving back to Houston and then we finally wound up in, in Brenham. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where we stayed. Uh, all throughout, you know, middle school and high school, but uh, but yeah, I'm definitely my parents own a business in Houston, so I'm I'm familiar with the area. And yeah, it's definitely brutal down there. It's, yeah, it's bad. The climate's brutal, but when you look at it from a professional standpoint, how do you attract people to a city like that, knowing that the climate sucks, <laughs> and it's got you know the space city aspect to it. It's got NASA. It's got the medical center, the largest medical center in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the oil industry as well. So you have all these different people that came in at different times and just keep that sucker going. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely very industrial. It's not the the prettiest looking no, not at all. city, but it's no. uh, it's it's definitely set up for business. It's what it the feeling you get. I mean, I think it's a macro and a micro issue, right? It's the macro, like you said, like in Mexico City, when you looked and it was a seismic zone, like how do they build here? How do I get wastewater? How do I deal with freaking 20 million people? I think that it's at that scale, but there's that little development the shoe's doing off of in the Heights. Have you mm-hmm. been over there off of like Shepherd and, uh, yeah, yeah. and Heights Boulevard? Uh-huh. Yeah, where I think it, it, you go back and you look at the micro scale, right? It's like, how do I make it where it's walkable mm-hmm. or I don't have food deserts that... Um, you make attractive like things for the community to buy into and to have as their own. And so I think that, you know, as, as this sinew, this strip of things slowly links to each other, it, like, it's like, I don't know, radiates upon itself. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a grassroots effort too. It's a, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in Houston, right. It's a, there's no zoning. So there's a, can have a little bit more fun with what's next to each other for better or worse it's yeah. the wild west yeah it's wild out there <laughs> it's crazy and so yeah i do think it's land opportunity and i i always gave houston a hard time like i always like i drove through it to the to go to galveston that's yeah. all that yeah. was Same. stopping in grad school and spending time there like i figured out i liked it a lot man there's a lot of uh it's got a lot of culture yeah it does uh-huh. yeah what's the most diverse city in the united states it's a 
quarter uh, white, quarter Hispanic, quarter uh, Asian, and quarter black population. Like New York doesn't have that, Chicago doesn't have that. So on by demographic alone, it's yeah, it's a thriving city. It's, yeah. And it does have walkable neighborhoods. You go to um, Montrose, and the Heights is turning into that right now. So you have these little pockets, and like you're saying, uh, the contemporary move is like to link those up. You know, and that's that's really neat to see to make a more loops within the loop. <laughs> right, within the loop, within the loop. <laughs> Stop the sprawl, baby. Just go come back to the city center. Let's densify your city centers. Uh, and then you have city center, which is a completely different thing. Where yeah. you're, you're trying to make this grassroots effort, you know, just dropping it. And it, it's supposed to be an incredible development, but it didn't. It wasn't built from the ground up. It doesn't have the old trees. It yeah. doesn't have the the buy-in from the community either. So I always fought against that. I remember grad school, they, they talked about it a lot. And the Woodlands as well. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's not the same well, as, as the Montrose, you know? <laughs> yeah, I worked with Susan Rogers in uh, Magnolia Park where they would have these artists that come yeah. out of the city. And what do they do? They go to New York. They don't they don't retain any anybody. Yeah. Everybody leaves for, for something else. And so the specific project I worked on was to be able to keep these people that are homegrown to, to stay, you know, Beyonce, baby, let's, let's stay in Houston and do something with it. Um, that is the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. You keep people there. Well, so tell, tell me a little bit more about some of your hobbies. I mean, you, you said you, you kind of had a, an interest in, or a background in photography, right? And, and video. Um, I mean, do you still kind of play around with that or? Uh, absolutely. Yes. yes. So I have, well, uh, you travel and, and write, you, you do photography and kind of document mm-hmm. some of that. Okay. Well, Sorry, continue. Well, no, yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I do that every day. Yeah. Um, my role right now, my my current position, I have to do write-ups every morning, so I don't <laughs> to document, uh, photograph, write everything down. That I use it as a as a time to journal as well. Like my write-ups can get pretty kind of personal as well. <laughs> sure. And uh, I try to be specific, but also give it um, an edge to it. So this is like a, a daily log that you do for for the company. Absolutely, yeah. To let us let them know that we're on track or where right. we are, and what yeah. to expect the next day, and mm-hmm. what we encountered, um, especially these last couple of weeks with the the heat. The heat has been pretty detrimental to to both the team and the site. Say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just making it very difficult to to keep going at at a certain pace. For um, sure. But uh, again, to piggyback on that, um, coming from the fire department, there's preparing yourself for a tour at the, at the fire department that you do a tour of duty, which is uh, two or three days at a time. Coming with that mentality, you prepare yourself, uh, sleep right, eat right, hydrate yourself. When it comes to running a small team outside, uh, teaching them, hey, this is, this is what I expect from you. You're not just working here, you need to go hydrate. You need to get eight hours of sleep. That's part of your job. Yeah, well, you're, you're taking care of them. I mean. Because if they're not performing, then y'all don't perform. Absolutely. So you got to yeah, you got to take care of them too. Um, but yeah, when it comes to photography and videos, uh, I, I do a lot of journaling when I travel. Uh, I, I like just to kind of meditate and st- take a sketchbook with me um, and try to realize how how a certain uh, when I do pick a spot to visit, it's usually for one or two structures, <laughs> and I'll just go over a weekend and just meditate at those areas. And walk around and try to figure out, you know, what was the problem and how they, what was their approach and how do they solve it, yeah, and sketch it all out. That's very cool. Do you do you put that anywhere online? Is there anywhere we could go I to, to kind of tap into that? I no? haven't yet. No, Dude. no. But I, yeah, it needs to. It needs to be opened up. 
because there, there's some really incredible spots. Just thinking about the heat recently, I went back through my journals and, and was looking at uh, Morocco and seeing what I had written down for Marrakesh and, uh, and, and the details, you know. It was 110 degrees outside, mm-hmm. but in the city center, I'm just in a t-shirt like I'm dressed right now, mm-hmm. you know, running around uh, with the tour guides, seeing everything. And what they did, uh, obviously the courtyard, the courtyard aspect is huge for their design. Talk about that. Um, okay, so their family structure is similar to, uh, different than here. Uh, you have multi-generational housing in one unit. Uh, they're large too, um, maybe half a city block. Uh, in the center you have the, oh, I forget what they're called. Fountain? No, they have a specific name for what they call their, um, the Riyadh, is it Riyadh? The Riyadhs, yeah. So Riyadh comes from the name for garden. So every home has a garden in their center, uh, and the way it's designed is it, it provides natural ventilation as well. You know, all the heat goes straight out, and all the the rooms each um, each family has has a floor to themselves. Um, so everyone kind of meets in the center, and it's really beautiful and beautifully ornate um, inside, uh, using light colors to to help with uh, to dissipate the heat. On the outside, you would have no idea what they, how cool they are on the inside. Right. Well, cool visually and cool uh, temperature as well. <laughs> From the outside, they're just stucco, mm-hmm. just mud, and they're on these unassuming boxes. Super and, unassuming. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh man, what is this? And once you walk in, it it opens up on on itself, and it's completely gorgeous. Also, the urban planning or the the getting a little bit bigger outside of the scale of the family home now you have the neighborhood um, the streets are tiny cars you don't see cars anywhere all the cars are on the outside on the perimeter hmm. love that and it helps you know these these buildings are 30 feet tall the sun is never going to reach the bottom of it you know <laughs> maybe at noon on a certain a few streets that are uh, perpendicular to it or in line with it um, but they're always in shade and there's always uh, some kind of cross ventilation happening throughout the entire neighborhood. Um, so that's just little things like that. Are they, are there, I'm assuming, well you say the streets are really small, I'm assuming these all these structures are kind of right next to each that's, other, yeah. right, hugging each other. At most like 10 feet. They're more like alleys than, than streets. Absolutely, like notes like that um, can help influence, you know, maybe a project 10 years from now that I do. <laughs> We gotta make like a blog or something, man. This is awesome. I'd love to watch, you know, or you know, watch the video or look at the pictures and read the description. That, that's awesome. Yeah, Just figure it out, man. Yeah, and with the fire department too, I, I tried starting that. Like, hey, so this is what it looks like. Uh, twenty-five feet fire lane. What does that mean? I know it's a pain in the ass because you know I don't have twenty-five feet. I need X amount of parking spots, and now you're saying you need twenty-five feet. This is why you need 25 feet and try turning a fire engine around. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the real part here. Hopefully you never have to encounter, but somebody's going to have to encounter. Yeah. Demo day. Yeah. Anybody can go out to this wide open parking lot and park this thing right yeah. here. See? <laughs> and guess what? You're on the 10th floor. You're looking out the window waiting for these guys to come, but you didn't follow the 25 foot rule, so you can't get in. Oh. <laughs> Think about that. Mm. There's a lot of little moments like that. Well, I wanted to go back to what you said. Um, I, I guess getting more into you know what what you do. I don't know if we have we gone over that yet. Can you kind of describe specifically you know what it is that you do professionally? 
um, on a day to day? I mean, describe your day. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of project management with a uh, 3D printing um, construction company. We use large scale 3D printers to print concrete um, and, and to do commercial residential structures, wall systems at this point. Um, my role is to be on site every day and get the guys and, and the machine running. We're the boots on the ground. So we, uh, I, I specifically my role is communicating between the architects, the engineers, the client, and the, uh, the operators. That's a lot. It's, yeah. it's a lot of different hats mm-hmm. every single day going through. Uh, make sure everybody knows where we're at, what we need. And uh, if we're not operating for some reason, why we're not operating? So communicating some crazy engineering opportunity or, or you know malfunction to the client who knows nothing about G code or sure you know. it's unique problems. It's not like you're coming in like it's something any other construction manager in the world. Yeah, like yeah. you've got unique problems. This is all foreign. Yeah, yeah. It's unique on the side of the the resolving the problem but it's also unique and now you're putting this thing together <laughs> and you perhaps it's never been that you're you're encountering things that have never been solved before so you're at the spearhead of of the development of this this type of uh, of building absolutely yeah so the boots on the ground is really where this thing becomes uh, becomes real so before there's a lot of testing done to make sure these wall systems work but you really don't know what's going to happen until you get out there and have a crew. And then there's so many different conditions. The slab could be completely different than the test slab. Um, well, so like, right you, like you kind of alluded to earlier, the heat, mm-hmm. you know, the heat and temperature and humidity can have a big effect. So, I mean, what, what are some of the challenges that you faced recently with the heat? I mean, what, what is that? Thankfully, with the, the heat, um, it could affect both the system and the team. With cold temperatures, it affects more the system than the team. The team we can just bundle up, mm-hmm. um, but with the heat, it's it's the opposite. the The system, so far from what we've seen, it can can operate pretty well. Still, yeah. uh, the team is really what what is suffering or taking the, taking the brunt of it. So, who's out there in the field? Because I'm thinking of like a tr- typically built house. You know, you have your concrete slab, and then you know you have your framers come throw up some walls. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know this is completely different in the sense that you know you're printing this layer by layer so who when you say the team like is it who's actually out there with you and and what's happening yeah so our our the spiel too the reason why uh 3d construction is is an option right now or the opportunities that 3d 3d construction provide are number one a small crew so the crew currently is four individuals and they each have their role uh, of where they are and, and their specialty. Mm. Um, that's where we are right now. Uh, number two is understanding the, the product, um, knowing how much concrete we need to print the structure. Mm-hmm. So there's very little to no waste. Uh, that's a, another huge selling point. The third is going to be your um, the, the thermal barrier of the right. wall system. Yeah. That is probably the, the biggest uh, effect that we can have with this technology. Is, is not having a thermal barrier and better insulation um, that is that is difficult with other technology or CMU or stick frame construction. Um, so those are three things that I've seen. Our team is four guys. We typically our project typically lasts about four to six weeks, depending on the size. Um, so we're in. 
they each have their task um, on the slab compared to traditional construction that is pretty pretty low pretty nominal and and then how we interact with the other trades um, this is something that is still constantly being changed and modified and massaged mm -hmm. because third parties come to the site and they it's a shock every time yeah yeah <laughs> so number one uh, plumbing currently is pretty traditional coming up from the ground um, the electrical we have we have cutouts in the walls um, at, at certain heights and that's all code related so um, they're they're comfortable with when they approach that do you try to avoid running the plumbing in the the printed wall yes Okay, you yes. try to avoid that as much as you can. All right. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we found that the two places, that, that's the other thing about <laughs> concrete. Concrete is immortal, honestly. It's, it's going to be 50 to 100 years. That's the goal for, yeah. for most things you do with concrete. So our culture is a little different. We want to change things every 10 years or so. Uh, so understanding that, I think the designers have a different approach as well. Uh, the two areas that we found where people want to make most modifications are going to be the kitchen and the bathrooms. Sure. So those, rather than printing out every single wall, it makes more sense just to do the envelope. And then you can, um, kind you of can build from there. And, yeah, yeah okay. you can have little pony walls and whatnot to define it. Um, so that kind of alludes to having stuff outside of the walls mm -hmm. so they can be changed easily Fair enough. or modified. Yeah, but that, that was awesome. I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to dive into as well. I mean, you're saying that you know, you have these other trades, y'all are still training them in a sense to get used to this because it, it is so new. I mean, what, what challenges do you face? So you're saying it's four to six weeks to, that's just for the printed structure itself or is that dry, to dry in where you got windows and doors and roof no, on? No, that's, that's just the, the, the wall system, yeah. Okay, so then you have a framer come in and do, I'm assuming, right, your, your roof structure and your interior partitions mm -hmm. and install windows and doors. And yeah, what are some challenges that you might face with, with kind of training them and getting used to the system? Yeah, that's just being on site and making sure they're using the details. So the architects have done a great job of testing uh, off-site several different iterations of how, you know, number one, what is was best structurally and uh, will last the longest, using tools kind of off the shelf. We don't want to have things that are too specialty because um, then we'll, it gives us more overhead and that's never good obviously sure um, so they've done a great job of streamlining and creating incredible details to um, to hand over to the third-party guys it's just making sure that that um, everything is correct and, mm -hmm. and there's n nothing lost in translation right yeah a, yeah. Lot, a lot of hand-holding a lot of you know absolutely and us, for us as well it, it was, this is all new every project has a new challenge and that's, that's what I find really exciting as well. Um, I personally try to take the projects that I know are going to be a real pain in the butt because that's where you're going to have the most, you know, the most knowledge transfer. When it comes to most apertures, windows and doors in the structure, in the envelope, for at least the commercial structures, we're trying to go floor to ceiling, not so much an aperture because it, it makes it more difficult for the printer and, and just everybody in the back end. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one way around things too. Okay, it's just to if there's going to be a win if you want a window there, it's going to be a window. It's going to be the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Visually though, I kind of like that. Yeah, I like floor to ceiling. I mean that's uh, that's very appealing. So another 
question I had was about inspections because mm-hmm. this is new, you know, in regards to just the, the material and, and the process, you know, it's, it's not your typical, it's not built like your typical building. So what challenges do you see with, with inspectors and, you know, have, have there been any big headaches, I guess? Yes, uh, the inspectors. Well, thankfully at this point, um, we are AC509 certified so that there's not a lot of people trying to push back on, on the product. One thing around that is I think with, with the inspections, because we are using concrete, we still have to do quality control. Um, and, and we're not having, uh, we don't have the same inspections. Um, sure. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna show them, you know, you're not gonna bring an inspector in before you, you cover up a wall. Right. To do, you know, because that's your electrical. finished, it's, your finished product. it's done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So throughout the process, there's a lot of documentation. This mm-hmm. goes back to photography, to photographing and using other technologies um, to organize disinformation. So they, they're rather, rather than coming out to the site, they're looking at a packet um, that you've created so they can see all the rebar that was placed correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also helps you a homeowner if they want to do future modifications. We can let them know, hey, this is where the rebar's at. Give this uh-huh. to your contractor. Um, don't tap here. Don't tap there. You right. Know, at these elevations. Uh, these are where the columns are. Uh, everything behind the wall system. Also, because we are using concrete, we do we do have a lot of quality control. Um, we have uh, we have to send samples off for breaks. I was going to ask. That was that my next question was if y'all did break, yeah, break tests. Yep. Throughout the entire process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a big deal, and it actually helps us to to uh, to work within our uh, our means. It gives us a better product because we know what what works, what kind of material we want at the nozzle. So then uh, you know what you should expect, you know, when they break it 28 days later at whatever point. Well, how often are you testing? Do you have to test every day or every new batch of concrete? Does that have to be? Yes. Not every, but um, there is a pretty extensive log. Uh, We test for ourselves in the sense that we want to keep the material in a certain range. So we're doing slumps and temperature and and, um, and air. taking samples of all that. All that information may not go to in the final product uh, when it comes to uh, this packet that I'm speaking of, but it does keep us, it does help us keep everything in line. Um, the, the breaks that are recorded, they're at certain intervals of the, of the wall. They're built in. I gotcha. And that's, that's given to us by the material science department. Is, is all your, is your concrete in-house? Because I know you, I mean, you use a proprietary mix. Yeah. So you have your own mixing facility that produces, oh, okay. Well, that's, yeah, everything's proprietary yeah. at, at the moment. So you're not getting concrete from any of these other mixing facilities. You have your own place set up where you just have concrete on hand. Whenever Absolutely. You need it. I mean, you got to, because it's got to be a right continuous. It's a tricky dance because yeah. we want it to be flowable enough that you can pump it 200 feet in a tube, in a two and a half inch tube. Yeah. But then also it needs to, to set quickly because you need to, you want to put another layer on top of it within 20 minutes. So that's why it's proprietary. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. It's, yeah, it's a dance. It's a dance with the material. A lot of what I'm doing nowadays is trying to figure out how we can do factory built housing. It's architect designed and that it's 
done by the time that it leaves the factory. So it's all <laughs> so modular. What you're saying? Yeah, modulated units, and that they have some flexibility mm -hmm. in getting these factories to crank these things out. So the idea is that once that thing comes to the site, it's done. You, you 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 hook it up, and then it goes. Is there something in the future where where there is a 3D printed slab, wall, roof? I don't know how you do the plumbing. You can't do the plumbing, but like where you, you, it's just a one and done solution. It's like a completely 3D printed something. Yes, absolutely. And other companies have different strategies as well. Uh, there, there are some companies that are completely modular, and everything they do is in a warehouse, and they ship it out. They, they'll send you wall segments. Um, currently, we, we are not doing that, but the goal is to yeah to kind of do everything the entire envelope. Um, there's a lot going on in R&D, and with the structural engineers, that becomes more of a, thank you. Um, that's more of their realm, yeah, for sure, to, to solve those. And I think a lot, that also affects the, not only the structural engineers, but also affects the product engineers. So how do, how do we make a printer that can do it all? Oh, yeah. Does that mean a how different How is the pump? tool? Does that, exactly. That changes the tools, too. Well, it's a two-way conversation. I love that. It's yeah. not just one way in, you make this thing. Well, this thing's saying, I can't make this. I can't make it. So it spits yep. it back to it and so you, you can adapt and change it. That's And so right now in the industry, kind of what we're, what we're doing is just pushing the machine, seeing what can we do with these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know what we can do with the desktop, but this thing is huge. You know, what, what are the limits? Um, at what point, how fast can we go? Or how slow can we? There, everything. There are so many different factors that you can you can test before you start getting to these really complicated geometries. <laughs> That's just another you know, yeah. another facet of it. Do you think to, so? To kind of forecast a little bit into the future, do you think you'll? So right now you're just doing one machine per structure. Do you think there's ever a time where you'll have multiple print heads going at one time, or That's maybe you're, you're you're printing with separate uh, materials you know like I know some 3d printers the desktop version you can you can swap out filaments and colors and yeah. on the fly and so it kind of gets me thinking like can you do that can you scale that up and and start printing you know different materials as you go and and kind of change the, the, the color of the wall and yeah definitely. Um, uh, one thing yeah that's definitely coming down the line for sure uh, there's also the geometries that are, so the machine has its scope and we're just trying to understand what the limits are of the scope. Mm -hmm. um, definitely as we're moving, the machine's changing as well mm -hmm. because we find, we find certain aspects aren't keeping up and they need to be modified. So there's this constant like horse and carriage, they're both moving at the same time, yeah. <laughs> honestly. It's not one against the other. There's a constant learning on the product side as well as the design side. Um, each project that I've taken on, I've been met with a different type of printer. Not different type, but modifications to it that give it different uh, qualities. Okay. So yeah, definitely. It's changing very fast on both fronts. <laughs> and I know you, when we, we had Nathan, when we talked to him, I think you had asked... Um, I can't remember the question now. Um, it, it'll come to me. Why are you so handsome? Yeah. Why? Uh, 
Oh, it's Nathan, a, it's a skin I had it. I, I, Which one? I had it on the tip of my tongue and it's gone now. I, I, uh, <laughs> something about design, something about yeah, form, something, some, about... something something along those lines. I can't remember now. It'll come to me later. I ain't gonna worry about it. That was an awesome story, man. So thank you. <laughs> it comes natural. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I had that right on the right in my head, and I can't remember. <laughs> what the, I was gonna ask you the same thing, and I can't remember the question now. So anyway, Maybe material. Because I think there's something to be said about the material. One thing that I've heard, the easiest thing to bash about using concrete is the carbon emissions. Um, How much does your building weigh? Oh. I have to get on. I don't know. Off the top of my head. No, no, no. It's a question by uh, Commissioner Foley about like thinking about uh, what a house is at the end or a building is at the end of the day. But what what, what were were you going to say about that? Um, The material-wise. So why concrete? I think one of the biggest things with three D printing is is the the low head count, the low labor. Again, the thermal efficiencies and um, oh, and the waste. Understanding the waste being real specific with, with the material. There are other individuals looking at hybrid material as well, so it's not all concrete because that is a very carbon heavy product. And we understand that, everybody understands that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think at this well, point- Well, okay, so let's pause. Maybe for a listener who's not necessarily in, in the know or in the industry, when you say something is carbon heavy, especially like concrete, can, can we explain that so everybody's kind of on the same page? Um, concrete is very... Ooh, what's the best way to explain it? I guess it takes a lot of energy to produce yeah. concrete. And there's not much product after you're done with it. What yeah. do you do with it? Like right. it's, it's, it's waste. And it's, yeah, ultimately. Um, yeah, it's just, even just, it's heavy as well. So getting it to your site. Transporting it, yeah. Everything about concrete is uh, labor intensive or energy intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a very strong and, and yeah. pretty immortal kind of product as well. That's, I was curious as to why you said 50 to 100 years. It seems like with concrete, you do a good space that it can, it can push past that threshold. Yeah. You could, yeah. I, that's just a number that, you know, seeing other CMU and stuff. So yeah. that's, that's a kind of known number. But yeah. who knows? Absolutely. Life, we need to increase these life cycles. And then if you can get that three, four times over traditional construction, then you're, you're beating, you're now beating you have a product. That. Right. Yeah. Especially if it can hold up to time. That's the thing is these elements. I was listening to NPR and they were talking about, oh, I'm going to botch it, but whatever I'm going to say. In the 80s, there was eight days that there were 100 degree days. And now they're forecasting in 2030, it's going to be like 34 days or something. Mm-hmm. They said it's twofold. It's the heat island effect of, you know, pour more concrete in our city centers and then yep. uh, global warming. And so uh, we need more out of our buildings. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't build the same thing. And so in the way the codes are adopted, I don't want to have this be, just be a code fest, but like <laughs> is that it, it, it's slow to be able to, to get to the, the next level of things. And so I think if, pushes it back to the construction and the designers and the architects of the world where we have to be forward thinking we, we need to see the codes for what they are, which is baselines. They're, they're the minimums that we have to achieve. And so I think that the real winners here in the next coming decades are going to be the people that figure out this problem and uh, adapt and solve the problem before um, before somebody, somebody implements a system that you have to do this. Yeah, no, I think you brought up some incredible points. Man in the arena. 
Sorry, I'm gonna point that out. You gotta be forward thinking and you know not not afraid to get out there and make mistakes. Reactive. And, We're so reactive. Yeah. About that's things. our job to to take that. I think you know just that changing that perspective instead of having oh these are the codes but like that's that's the minimum. I'm actually gonna do this. I'm gonna change it. And and I think that's one thing that 3D printing does too. It's at the end of the day, it's, it's really just a um, a huge experiment. Does this work? Is this a good avenue? We won't know until 20, 30 years from now. And that, sorry, I remembered what I was going to ask earlier. You had asked Nathan about skincare. No, it wasn't skincare. <laughs> it was uh, uh, any like follow up reviews with any you know people who actually oh, are post occupancy yeah. evaluation. POGs, and yeah. so, our my question for you was. I mean, you're out there dealing with it every day. Are you getting immediate feedback from people who, who are working with the material and the machinery? And, and Yeah, I can answer that part. No, but uh, we, we really don't have a lot of posts uh, from the residents, if what you're, that's what you're trying yeah, to Yeah, that, that was the question that we had asked okay. uh, Nathan was, is there you know, a year or you know, yeah. I think from, 30, 90 days? For me being in the field, uh, it, it's really educating the team on how uh, aggressive the material is and how to protect yourself from it. Because it will tear you up. <laughs> and we, uh, you can have allergic reactions to it and it can uh, make things really uncomfortable for people. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Um, but it, it inspired something else that I was thinking about too, is that I, one thing that I think, one of the reasons why a lot of heads turn as well, not just because there's a giant robot in the, at, at the lot, is the material using concrete. In most parts of the world, concrete, you see it at the residential level, um, not just the commercial level. Here at the U- in the U.S., we don't really see that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, uh, it's different. It's, uh, Very much so. And I think there's something to be, you know, to, to start a conversation on that. Uh, yeah, but those buildings are standing up for three, five hundred years. They're like yeah. they're old. They're they're and they're not going anywhere. And, and there's value to those things. And so that's what I'm I'm saying. Like let's push this hundred year mark out. Yeah, like, well, absolutely. Who's creating these metrics on where when, what we, what we need our buildings to perform? And then this idea of homes doing more, or not homes, but design doing more, our buildings doing more for us than they're currently doing. That that's a huge one too. Uh, you can have a whole course on that, you know, how, how to flip that and make things work for us. Yeah. Um, on my personal, like, my personal little studies and sketches and whatnot, I'm trying to work on a, on a, a home or, or a compound that is just a bunch of little tests, you know, a bunch of structures are testing different ideas. I love and that. A bunch <laughs> of follies. Yeah, yeah dude. So over here, this is, you know, it didn't right, work. I got, I got some land you can come test Let's on. Let's do it. That's <laughs> <laughs> this idea of the car. Like, we invest so much into this car, but all it gets is from A to B, like, which is great. But I think it'd do a lot more. I think, why not? Why are we... Put a bed in it. <laughs> could take <laughs> off into the sky. <laughs> Well, I mean, energy-wise, it has a motor in it. Like, use it as a generator. Why are we plugging into oh. the car to charge it? Why are we not turning it on and plugging the house into it and kind of going the other way? There's there's a lot of different ways to think. Obviously, there's there's efficiency factors there that need to be tweaked. But just start asking those questions. You know, I think you can get some really interesting responses. or <laughs> Yeah. You can get things moving. I got this fantasy where I go out and I build this Lake Flato-esque... Olsen Kundig flat thing that just expands forever. It's this giant hat that's like 20 feet up in the air and it captures the entire lot. The entire lot is covered. 
maybe there's some light that comes through it, but and then underneath it are these little <laughs> things that we like these things that don't touch the. the You've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> So like a bunch of little follies with these indoor outdoor areas, everything opens up to it, but all of it's covered. And you got to see. Uh, did you ever take any of those Japanese architect classes? No. Oh man, those Japanese guys are doing incredible stuff. Yeah, they have been forever. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, yeah. This this idea of low profile, really delicate, and super sophisticated structure to keep it up to make it seamless kind of a, a 21st century forest you know yeah it's, yeah that's a good way to put it all right with well, the future what's what's going on i mean it's uh you got any travel plans you uh travel plans i spent a lot of time in the carolinas to go see your daughter yeah that's awesome. hanging out with my daughter her birthday's next week so that'll be fun i'll be there for a week and a half um that's a long time away from the job site oh yeah you gonna come back and very <laughs> decompress and, and yeah and just explore the Carolinas honestly it's beautiful uh, a lot cooler in here <laughs> so. yeah. there's these uh, there's a typology from that side of the, the country it's a tobacco uh, shed yeah Have you ever seen yeah I actually went to one a couple weeks ago when I was there they're so they're awesome. awesome yeah yeah, yeah. And almost like uh, in some of them it looks like a, a girl like twirling her skirt where like fans out and it's got like a whole shed on the bottom of it. The tobacco's on the outside drying it's out. Everywhere. Totally. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's derivative off of the function of it, but I think that there's some beauty that's in it. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, travel is all about understanding what, how, did, how are these people solving problems? If you want to be a designer, you got to travel. You have to <laughs> see, you have, have to, to know what's out there. Yeah. Well, the problems that we're seeing now or not it's not the first time they've come up they've come up sure. multiple times and you know just pick somewhere on the other side of the world that has similar climate similar you know and go go check it out see what they're doing yeah that's what i love doing the the only question i think the last question i had uh which really dealt more with your day-to-day -day activity was how do you so you, you just start with a slab you're just arriving. I mean, what steps do you take to kind of ensure a successful delivery? I mean, because again, it's it's completely different. There's, you know, you're not delivering lumber packages and all this other mm -hmm. stuff. You're setting up this giant machine. So what are some of the, the little things you do uh, when you first arrive to kind of help, you know, set you up for success? Yeah, that's a good question for sure. That's, that's my bread and butter every day. So obviously our site, the goal is it's a lot cleaner than a typical site mm -hmm. because we don't have the same amount of waste or type of waste even. Yeah. Um, so approaching, making sure that um, around our, uh, around the slab, we have compacted soil because we're going to have this very heavy machine moving around. Um, so that's, that's one of the biggest things as well is, is getting details and specs for the compactness around there. The machine doesn't need too much. We need um, power, obviously, um, but that's coming. That's the engineers take care of that. Uh, just make sure that the distance isn't, you know, too extravagant. <laughs> that we have a, a T pole close by mm -hmm. and water. Obviously, we're using concrete, so we need to. We need a lot of water, uh, consistent water, um, and then and then making it comfortable for the team. That's kind of the biggest one. Make sure we have a, a, a place where quality control can set up and, and do their tests. Um, but we can get around the site comfortably and safely because we do have this big machine that 
uh, the best way to think about it is is it's it's not trying to hurt you, but there's so many opportunities to get hurt by this giant 3D printer moving silently. Mm-hmm. It's it's all electric, so it's super quiet. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's super dangerous. Uh, find the pinch points before they yeah. become reality. Yep. You with know? fatigue, and it's 118 degrees outside, yeah. and they've been looking at it for six hours. Do you guys have cooling stations? Do you yeah. got, are you guys covering slabs? Are you guys mandatory off hours only? Two hours, two on, two no, off. Right. We're kind of discovering all that right now, but yeah. uh, taking experiences again from uh, being out in the field and fire department. Um, yeah, we have cooling stations. We have uh, the guys have little backpacks on uh, camelbacks and make sure they have uh, clothes that is breathable you know but then we also have OSHA so there's also the code that you have to follow sure. that's our code out in the field you know mm-hmm. honestly that's 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 really what it is um, the machine is also uh, tons of trip hazards you have mm-hmm. cables everywhere you have water you have electrical you have like open gears in some cases depending on, on the project um, Presenting all that to the team, making sure the team understands that, um, that they're confident and uh, they have access to all the tools they need. So our material, making sure that they have access to it. It's not going to be in a, in a real windy environment either. So it's not blowing on all of us. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want a bunch of, of stuff being blown around the site as well. Um, making sure the, the clients uh, have access, the appropriate access, I'll put it that way. Um, we yeah, you definitely don't want them wandering around exactly, and, and yeah. thinking, well, you know, I own the place, so I can do what I want. That no, happens. This is dangerous. It's an active job site. So. It happens a lot on yeah. traditional construction. Which, People just show up. They're like, yeah. oh, this is a little different. There's a lot of places you can get hurt. <laughs> yeah. And if you're looking at something, the machine could be right behind you. Yep, yep. Yeah. Which stinks because it's a unique product and everybody gets so <laughs> yeah, damn excited it. about yeah. it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you don't understand what you're yeah. – you don't understand the safety precautions that you have to take. Yeah. Um, everything's heavy. Everything is expensive. Everything. <laughs> Again, going back to the fire department, everything was made to to be under extreme conditions and work with very little maintenance. So. Wow. You seem like a palimpsest, man. You've had so much exposure to so many different things that's made you uniquely you, and that you can use that to be able to make uh, different products. Like you, yeah, you, well, you've you've got real life experience and. For whatever reason, if it's yeah holding a boom arm from camera crew shooting some film, or if it's yeah working for the fire department, you, you use those as lessons. You journaled them, and then you, you turned it into into a, a thing that's made you a better better uh, in, in this capacity, a builder. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, another thing is it's a machine, so we don't. It doesn't need to turn off at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. It can go on. Some projects can depending on on the context and the neighbors uh you can print 24 hours so that's another thing how to set up the teams how to set up the mm-hmm. you know the crews to prepare for that at night brings up a whole nother issue yeah, i'm sure <laughs> with uh again the material and against the pinpoint the pinch points this thing is is big and cr- finding that cadence I like every every industry has a cadence a natural cadence so I think just now getting a handle of what that cadence is with this technology, so it can be more defined and precise with the scheduling that I do as well. Yeah. So uh, another question: How far do you do you take the project? You know, really from start to finish, or are you 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 do your the printing and then you kind of move on to the next one and the next one, or are you overseeing the entire like the full completion of the 
No, currently no. So that's that would be um, that. Those are there's different types of projects. Uh, most of them are just printed, just a wall system, mm-hmm. and they're handed off to um, to the other trades to complete, and and we keep going on to on to the next uh, the next adventure. So you don't have to come and, and like check back in on the framer. There's there's another there's a whole another representative crew. that yes, comes. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So yeah, it's definitely streamlined. It's it feels like more of a uh, production line, you know, where it's, you're just cranking these things out. And yeah, it, it needs to be to, yeah. to get the economy of scale to come down and, and mm-hmm. make it. Ultimately, the goal is to to do uh, to give everybody a home, you know, affordable housing. Um, but the only way you can get there is to make a lot of homes, <laughs> make them accessible, make them cheap. But, yeah. Um, Mark, are you gonna get you? A, are you gonna get one? Gonna get a 3D printed house? Yes, <laughs> I gotta be able to afford it. Heck yeah, I could get one of those bad yeah. boys. Yeah. Well, Luis, it's been great talking to you. I definitely want to get you back on, especially as as the industry changes and more things are developed, and you know, it's it seems like it's constantly changing every day. I want to get get you back on and, and pick your brain some more. So, but I really appreciate your time today and and talking with us, and so. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate it.